Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion will provide our audience with an inside look at Exos and the holistic approach Exos takes to NFL Combine athlete preparation. In 20 years of Combine training, Exos has had over 1,000 athletes drafted by NFL organizations. Of those drafted, 206 were first-round picks. 40% of the first round of this year's NFL draft picks in April were Exos trained athletes, including the number one overall pick. The resume speaks for itself, but today we are grateful to have a chance to hear from two of the individuals that play a large role in the continued success achieved by Exos. Our first panelist is Anthony Hopgood. Anthony is currently the director of performance at Exos Performance Institutes and is located in Florida. Since beginning with Exos in 2007, Anthony has coached and educated a wide variety of populations, including military, NFL, track and field, professional baseball, soccer, and youth athletes. He earned his bachelor's from Ole Miss, where he played football, and earned his master's in exercise science from the University of West Florida. Our second panelist is Nick Hill. Born and raised in San Diego, Nick played football at Eastern New Mexico University, where he earned his undergrad degree. Joining Exos in 2016, Nick currently serves as a pro elite performance specialist for Exos in Phoenix, Arizona, where he's been responsible for the NFL Combine program since 2018. We're excited to get inside the walls of Exos today with both Anthony and Nick, but before we do, we'd like to mention that Exos has some awesome educational resources available to practitioners looking to learn and enhance their coaching skill set. Exos offers various in-person and online courses that can be found at Exos at teamexos.com backslash education. There you can find links to the Exos Performance Specialist Certification and the Immersive Performance Mentorship. To stay up on the latest, you can follow at Exos Education on Instagram. Reminder for all attendees, you can drop any questions you have in the chat, and we will allot some time at the end of the discussion to address them to our panel. So, all right, let's go. Nick, there are a lot of smaller details about Exos and the NFL Combine prep that we'll dive into today, but let's start a little bit more broad. Give our audience an overview of Exos, how many locations roughly, and how many performance coaches. Uh, so we have four of our institute locations the, where you're going to see the Combine training happen. Uh, we have a number of other powered by sites where you're going to have uh, an Exos performance staff that will deal more with grassroots, rehab, physical therapy, that type of stuff. But when you're talking about the, the big movers where the professional athletes are, where the combine training program is going to happen, there's a Florida facility in Pensacola. We have a facility in Texas. We have a facility in Arizona. And then we have a facility in, in Carlsbad um, down in Southern California. And in regards to the NFL combine training, um, are athletes training at all of these locations each year? And what is the rough size of each combine class per location? Yeah, so we'll have NFL combine programs going at each one of these facilities. Uh, numbers will vary from site to site, but usually an average is about 30 guys um, at each site. Last year, we had 50. I know Dallas had 48, 49. Um, Florida always has upwards of 30. And then San Diego is a little bit of a smaller class around 20 athletes. Uh, and then traditionally we'll have two coaches, uh, two main coaches leading the combine program at each facility. So one coach will lead the movement side of it. And then another coach will lead uh, the strength side in the weight room. Great. Okay. And we're excited to get in and learn a little bit about the movement side of things, the recovery, the weight room and things like that. Before we do, 
Anthony, I'm going to go to you on this one because you've been about at Exos for about about 15 years or so now. In a general sense, how has the combine process at Exos evolved from when you first started to where it is now? Well, when an athlete comes to one of our locations, they're essentially going to get immersed into um, an experience where nutrition, training, and physical therapy is all seamlessly integrated. And I would say over the past 13 years, as things have evolved, um, there's just been a lot of lessons learned, right? We've just in Florida alone, we have had, I think, close to 450 combine athletes prepared just in our location over the past 15 years. That's 450 roughly um, individual athletes that are all there as a group, but everyone is there for their own individual goals and individual reasons. And so I may have a group of 10 athletes in a group and I treat them like a team. However, they all have individual needs and they're there for individual reasons. And I have to make sure that we are, we are connecting and meeting all those individual needs. And so there's been a lot of lessons learned. Um, Big picture. I think um, early on, we probably, we're too aggressive in some areas and, and not aggressive in others. I think the intensity in the weight room was probably too high um, and the intensity on the field was too low initially. And I think as, you, as you've progressed over, the, over time, we've, we've, we've gotten more focused in the right things in the weight room and cranked the intensity up in the right areas on the field. Um, I think we've gotten better at understanding small um, small changes that can improve, improve the efficiency of somebody's performance. Like there's very, like when you think about like running a 40, for example, and understanding like the environment at which you're running it and how, how things are timed, there are really small things that you could do in a start, for example, that, that actually can pay off big time in a negative way um, for your time. And, there's, and so when you make those small adjustments, um, that can really help somebody maximize their time. And so I think overall, um, just changing the intent of, of focusing on the right things has really changed a lot over the time. Um, also, the, the schedule has changed. The way that we manage work plus rest has changed. Um, there's a lot of variables. And, you know, if you want to dive into anything specific on that, we can. But um, lots have evolved and changed over the years. And some people would say, you know, they, you know what I tell the athletes when they come in, they're not getting a program that I created or Nick created, they're getting a program that has evolved over 22 years, right? So when I first started running combine, I was, I inherited a program that had about, you know, had about six or seven years behind it at the time. And, and every year we, we huddle up as a team and look at small things we can do to make adjustments um, so that it continues to get better and refined and more efficient as we go. Yeah. You mentioned that early on you were too aggressive in the weight room in terms of intensity and probably not intense enough on the field. Um, obviously the combine is heavily field performance, what you're at, getting your athletes ready for. When did that switch occur, right? When did you notice, or what was it that, that helped Exos notice, Hey, we have to make this change. Was it something specific? Was it something that just slowly evolved over time? And now you look back and you said, Oh yeah, we were, we weren't doing it the best way we could have, or was it something specific? Um, so really looking at outcomes, what, are the, what were the guys' times when they came in during training? What do they run at combine? How did times progress over training? Um, looking at guys who really pushed super hard in the weight room and how they performed, like think about relative intensity. Like this is going to sound terrible, but some of the guys who, who had a good governor in the weight room 
meaning that they may be lifting heavy, but they're not trying to max out. Watching how those guys perform versus the guys who were trying to strain under every load, under every rep that you were, you know, guys who are really hard workers and they think, man, if I don't go to almost failure on my last set, I didn't get a good training session. And so as a whole, um, the weight room and the field work has a lot to do about managing their nervous system. And so we want to put a stimulus on their nervous system. However, when they show up in Indianapolis, that nervous system has to be fresh. It cannot be overtaxed. And so we got to be able to manage, like, I, t- I look at it this way. It's like taking a ball, like a, like a blow-up ball and pushing it underwater. We're, we're putting a stimulus on their nervous system through lifting heavy loads, through lifting weight at high speeds, and then running at high speeds. It's a, it's a high neurologically demanding experience on these guys. And so managing that nervous system to where as we start to taper going into the combine, it's like letting your hand off of that ball and it's slingshotting out of the water. And so um, so I would say managing relative attention in the weight room and using timers on the field during training to get to get most out of the guys. If you don't have a timer on the field, the guy thinks he's running hard, but he's not. And the number one principle right? About training for speed. If you want to get faster, you have to train fast. You, you will not get faster training at sub-maximal um, um, effort in terms of velocity training. It's just not going to happen. You've got you to push that throttle on, on speed and you, can, and you only get there when you create a competitive environment. And that's when you pull out lights, man, and have guys actually run 10s, run 20s run flying 20s, like you pull that out and you got to, and it, that's, that's something you got to manage very well in terms of intensity and, and, and volume over time. Maybe we're careful when you do that, but if, if you really want to get guys faster, they got to run fast. Yeah, that's great to hear. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the things and you're measuring, like you said, measuring the speed and measuring their actual running times and how that contributes um, as well as some other factors. You talked a little bit about you know, some of the movement aspect. And I want to dive into a little bit of that before we um, get a little bit deeper on some of the on-field performance things. This question is for Nick. Uh, one of the great things about Exos's approach to maximizing athlete performance seems to be the holistic integration across multiple performance platforms. Some of those that Anthony alluded to. Can you elaborate on this and maybe provide some insight on what separates Exos from other combine preps that are out there? Yeah, I think one of the things that is unique to us is the amount of variables that we can control in the program. This is a, it's not a very long program, eight weeks, 10 weeks, maybe if a guy comes in early, but a lot of the time it turns into about a five week training program. If you talk about implementation, if you talk about the 10 day taper on the back half of it, and then you have bowl games. So you have guys that are going out to shrine game or, or senior bowl or, um, we'll have a lot of guys that are coming in from uh, like uh, championship games, things like that. So they're really only here for, for maybe four weeks. So your ability to control every variable uh, and not just give them a good speed workout or give them good work in the weight room, you know, what are they putting into their body? How are they recovering? How are we tracking their recovery? How are we tracking their sleep? How are we uh, being proactive with physical therapy Uh, or cleaning up things that they may have come in with. So our ability to keep all of that under one roof really helps us push the needle when you're talking about a short window of training and you're talking about, you know, racing the clock for tenths of a second. Uh, That can change major spots in the draft and 
millions of dollars for a lot of these guys or wherever they end up. So, um, you know, I always tell the guys when they first come in, that meeting that you have with our dietitian is extremely important because if you want to come out here and, and you want to run a 4.3 or a 4.4, you're not going to do it at 12% body fat. You need to lean out, you need to make sure that you're eating, you know, the prescribed nutrition, the prescribed meal plan to make sure that you're cutting down that body fat and uh, you're maintaining your energy throughout this training process. Same thing goes for the big guys. You know, they come in a little bit heavier. They have different goals. They don't need to get down to 6% body fat, but leaning out and putting on more muscle mass, lean body mass is going to help them tremendously, not just in a 40 yard dash, but also position work, feeling better, their ability to recover, all of that. So um, our holistic approach and our team of having a dietitian on staff, having physical therapists on staff, and it's not just contracted in for the combine. These are people that work here all year. They're here 24-7. So the integration and the ability to communicate between me and my physical therapist or me and my dietitian is something that we do all year. So there's no friction. It's very seamless. Um, and I think that's really where you see a huge amount of those results and the consistency in our program. It's the speed coach only does so much, right? And, and the weight room can only do so much if you're sleeping three hours a night. Um, we give our guys boot bands when they come in. So we're able to track recovery. We're able to track, you know, how much they're, how much they're sleeping every night. And you might call a guy out and be like, Hey man, like, you only got three or four hours of sleep last night and we have flying twenties today. Like that's a little sketchy. We might need to pull off on, on allowing you to go up to that, that high velocity because you might tweak something, especially if they have, you know, a history of hamstring injuries or something like that. So the amount of data we can catch the team that we have and the amount of variables that we can control really, I think makes the big difference along with the 20 plus years of experience running this program uh, and then the ability to always have connections with every other facility. I mean, me and Hobgood will jump on the phone once a week. I'll jump on the phone with Callaway or Roy Holmes out there in San Diego and, and run through guys. So um, you may be at one site and I may be your quote unquote speed coach here, but you have three or four other coaches that are also trying to help you out that I can reach out to as resources if I'm trying to solve for a specific problem. Yeah, Mike, uh, Anthony, anything to add there? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, one of the things I tell the guys when they first come in is the, the secret is in the integration of our four pillars, mindset, nutrition, movement, and recovery. And so if a lot of our, a lot of your athletes, they will be solid with training. Um, some of them might be pretty good with recovery. But I would say that the lowest hanging fruit oftentimes with your athletes is nutrition. A lot of these guys had a six pack in the first grade, man. And so they could eat whatever they want their whole life and they were ripped up. And so when they start to understand that, look, if you want to maximize what you're capable of doing, if you want to reach your potential, you have to, you have to treat sleep, training, and nutrition as all equally important. If you come here and you're only focused on the training piece, but then you stay up really late at night and don't prioritize your sleep. And then you, you eat whatever you want. You're not, you're not consistent with your food intake and understand food is fuel and you're using that to reach your goals. You're not going to get 
the gains that you want in this program. And it always, it always pans out, man. The guys who do what we ask them to do and are diligent about, about all of those areas always perform very well. The guys who um, don't take recovery serious, they, they don't get on board with the nutrition, they don't see this big, as big of gains. And, and we'll tell them coming in, like, guys, we have guys that come through this program that can that have shaved three-tenths off their 40. And we have guys who come in and run the exact same and don't hardly see any improvement. And the guys who shave three-tenths are the ones that did everything with consistency. They got better over the eight weeks. They didn't start out on their best behavior doing well, and you see them kind of fall off. Uh-uh. You see them get better. And so part of the mindset piece is getting these guys to understand that you are no longer an amateur now. Like, you are now a professional. And just because you have the title of professional football player does not make you a professional. You can call yourself a professional, but professional being professional is about how you act. It's how you conduct yourself. And so there's a consistent, like, I'm always working on their mindset to start thinking like a pro and understand that your body, man, is your, it's not just your brand, but it is, man, this is your job to take care of yourself. And you have to have that mindset. So take all of it serious, not just training. And the guys who do that reap the benefits of it. Yeah, Mike, you want to add something in on there? Yeah, I just, you guys all touched on like uh, medical information, history, they're, them coming in and even like touching on nutrition and sleep, right? Like you guys have a small window to kind of hit and maximize uh, your time with the athlete. Are you guys vetting the athletes prior to coming in, understanding, hey, What's your time or your sleep time, your ranges of bedtime? What medical history are you walking in with? I guess if you can elaborate a little bit on that information, how you're getting it. Are you reaching out to performance coaches at those, you know, college or universities and whatnot? So um, if you kind of shed some light on, on that, that'd be great. Yeah, so so we're not really vetting guys. There's not really a, a screening process that that vets them before they arrive. But when they do come in, we do take them through a full evaluation. We look at their past medical history. Um, even if they say that they're healthy, we still take them through an in-depth PT evaluation to understand what they're going on, what's going on. And there's things that always arise, right? They say they're healthy, but then you find out, oh, last year you tore your hamstring and, and, and you still have like a, a, a deficit back there. And so they're like, I'm good to go because in their mind, they, they're used to playing football injured. Like when I played college football, I could, I don't ever think of a time in college that I, I wasn't beat up and banged up at some capacity, especially as a fullback. I was always playing with injuries. And so when they come in, we want to understand what is your past medical history and what do you currently have going on? But in addition to that, we understand that there are key areas of the body that are super important to have proper range of motions in order for you to be able to get into the positions and patterns that we want. And so if you're severely limited with ankle mobility or hip mobility, or T-spine mobility, if there's something, especially at the ankle, if the ankle is like, if you lack dorsiflexion and you lack hip internal rotation, if you lack hip internal rotation, it is gonna be impossible for you to change directions like other people. And so I may have to coach you a little bit different in terms of how you touch the line on a 5-10-5 because of your hip mobility limitations and ankle mobility limitations. And so the guys who are, can create phenomenal angles and efficiency with like a, a, the multi-directional drills, they all have great ankle and hip mobility. And so we'll change that for those guys. And so, yes, there's a, there's a initial evaluation. 
And then there's a, a staff huddle where we keep a, a running document of each guy, what they have going on and what is our plan for them. And so, and then what training modifications need to take place. And so um, all of that, all that goes into, goes into play. Um, I would say in terms of like sleep, the biggest thing is the awareness is just constant education. It's education, 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 education. So you get them to understand that like, man, like how, how lack of sleep, how that impacts your performance you know, and not just in performance, but also like increase your risk of injury uh, and in hydration. Like what, like you're, if you have poor sleep, and you're poorly hydrated, um, what that does in terms of increasing your risk for soft tissue injuries, especially if you've had a history of soft tissue injuries. And so um, all of those come, those things comes into play. And like Nick said, like, if I know, if I know a guy um, is poorly hydrated, cause we'll do urine analysis and we'll get reports from a dietitian on that. If I know he's poorly hydrated, I know he, he, you know, talking to him, he's, he doesn't get a whole lot of sleep. And I know that he's had, um, you know, previous injury. And then let's say he has a previous hamstring injury. Like last year he pulled his hamstring, but I'm good now. He tells me, and we're doing like fly in twenties. I'm going to be very careful with that athlete and might make a lot of modifications so that the first rule, we do no harm. We do not want them getting hurt. And so we're going to slow cook that and, and slowly introduce certain stimulus to them to make sure we can handle that responsibly. Yeah, that's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. And you talked a little bit about, hit on some of the points, it sounds like, right, dietitian, movement. Let's put ourselves in there, in the facility, Anthony. It's, it's day one, week one. I'm walking through the doors in the morning. I'm getting ready for you know, NFL combine, it's nine, 10 weeks away or so. Uh, what does my day look like? Who am I meeting when I first walk into the door? And what am I doing basically until I walk out of the door that day? So the very first thing, the first thing that happens is we'll huddle up in a room and we're going to go over what the day schedule is like. And so day one is going to be all about evaluations. So we're going to do a physical therapy eval. We understand, we want to understand your past medical history. We understand what your current injuries are. And then we'll even under, un, uncover things you don't even know that's going on. The second thing we're gonna do is a nutrition eval. Um, probably the highest correlating variable to your performance is changes in your body composition, okay? That's probably gonna have the highest correlation to improve its performance is if you change your body comp, all right? That's one, so that's gonna be a piece. The third thing is gonna be actual testing. So we're gonna do, um, we're gonna all do like combine testing, run a 40, shuttle, L drill, broad, vert, uh, we'll test the bench. We'll do like, just want to see where you currently are. Um, that'll give us some good information about where they are and also help us set the right expect expectations. And then we'll wrap up the day. Once we go through all those evals, we'll do an orientation. That orientation is super important for them to understand what this process is like. So I get on the board, I'll draw up like a, a basically using a whiteboard, I'll map out what the next night weeks are, night weeks are gonna look like. I can explain to them what they're going to experience. They need to understand that as training intensifies over the next eight weeks, their performance will actually go down because our nervous system is getting very, very stressed. But as we go through a tapering process, you're going to see your body start to increase, your performance increase, um, so, that you, so that where you finish is above where you began. And so we'll go through that whole thing, set their mindset to what the process is like. And then so day one is really about evaluations and education. Um, and then day two is rolling into the first training session. So, you know, we can, we, we can dive into what that looks like as well, but it'll be, um, 
here's one thing I do that's critical is when you lay out a week, I will lay out what, what Monday through Sunday looks like. They're going to train twice a day, every day, except Saturday. Saturday is one time. And so I'll put X's like Monday through Saturday and I'll put a AM and PM X, 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 X. And I'll lay that out. And I'll, and I say, guys, if I were to lay that across eight weeks, that's a lot of X's. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a lot of training sessions. And I say, okay, well, understand this. If we try and just bury you and crush you in one of those training sessions, that's probably going to hinder you. I said, Think it, it's not one training session that's going to crush you, but the accumulation of all of this is a tremendous amount of stress on your body. Therefore, if you are not prioritizing recovery and sleep and nutrition and staying hydrated and taking advantage of the tools and resources we're giving you, um, it's going to hurt you. Like this is a lot of training. And so um, that's essentially a big kind of big picture part of the process is, is really getting these guys to set their mindset about what they're trying to do um, so that we can um, set the right expectations. And the biggest thing we tell them, guys, our overarching goal above everything else is not necessarily, but yes, we want them to perform at their best, but the number one goal is to get you drafted as high as possible. Like that's the number one goal. And so we have to make, um, intelligent decisions about your personal health and performance so that you guys can get as draft as you possible, high, high as possible. I think that's huge uh, is laying out the program on day one and letting them know what's coming and then reminding them as we go through each week, I'll pull the schedule up every Saturday. Uh, they'll come in here, they'll do big bench and then we do a film review. Uh, and before every film review, I pull up the schedule of each week and where the guys are at. And you have to let them know that in week four, week five, boys, those legs are going to be heavy and the times are probably going to be a little bit slower. If you don't lay that out prior for weeks, then you get to week five and you start to lose guys. And that confidence starts to go. And they're two weeks out from Indianapolis and they're not running the time that they want to run. And they lose confidence in the system. They lose confidence in the program. And then you, you start to see them go off and do their own thing sometimes. So if you don't lay out that process initially, um, you're going to get into trouble later in the program. But if you do, and I've really harped on this the last couple of years, if you really lay it out and hit on it and, and touch on those education pieces, when you start to get to week five and a guy runs a little bit slower than he did the week before, you can go up to him one-on-one -on -one and be like, look, man, it's all good. Like, this is exactly what we expected. This is where you should be. You should have ran slower today. I'll tell guys sometimes if you ran faster today, I would be worried, even though in my head, I'm like, I always want you to run faster. But, you know, it, it's showing that you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're following the program. So when the time comes and you put your hand down in the turf in Indianapolis, you're going to be absolutely ready to go. So the education pieces is huge. I mean, it's a, it's a massive part of um, the mindset that we roll through this entire program. The mindset plays such a major role. And part of that is on us uh, as coaches to make sure that these guys are educated and they, they know what's coming. You can't just run through a wall every day. You know, we have to be very strategic um, about effort and about, you know, intensity and, and recovery and all of that. It's very important. Yeah. And from what I hear from you guys speaking is that 
right? The education portion is just so massive, right? From day one, like you said, Anthony, I'm walking in that facility, I'm getting educated on exactly what's about to happen, right? And then week to week, I'm getting educated uh, and continuing from there. So that sounds like that's just a really big piece of what y'all do and a big reason why you've had the success that you've had. Um, a question I had was, let's fast forward a little bit here. And I am starting to feel a little bit heavy leg. This question is for Nick and Anthony, give you a chance. Mike and I are, are training for the combine. We're heavy leg. We're beat up after about six weeks or so. Um, take us through knowing like every rep every day in that constrained amount of time matters so much. You're working with these highly motivated athletes. Like, what is that training session like when guys maybe hit a little bit of a lull and I'm down? Like, how do you get them going? How do you get them motivated to kind of get through those last few weeks? That's, that's on us um, because the energy for the guys, you know, it starts to drop a little bit. They're tired. It's been four or five weeks of the same thing. Uh, you get a little bit of the cabin fever. You know, guys are nipping at each other a little bit more. So it's on the coaches uh, to really push the energy in each group and make sure that guys are going full effort. And I'll grab guys. And I'll let them know as a group. And I'll say, look, the first two weeks, first three weeks, even, I want you thinking about how you're running because we're trying to teach you something. Like we're trying to educate you on how to move. So you can't really run full speed if you're thinking about it. It just needs to happen. But when we get into week four, week five, no more thinking. You go out there and you go. And maybe there's a couple reps in the beginning where we're warming up. And I want you to think about this leg sweeping, sweeping through and, the other leg attacking back and real aggressive arm action. But when you go get in those gates, you just be a dog and you got to go. And it's an effort thing. And when you get that effort and you get that energy and you get guys going at each other a little bit, that's when you see the big PRs in those later weeks when the legs are smoked. It, it, it's crazy to me because if you look at the books and you look at the research and you look at everything else, guys should not be hitting PRs in week five, when the nervous system is smoked, they just got off of a heavy leg session and then they go out there 48 hours or whatever, 32 hours later, and they run a PR flying 20. I mean, I, I know I've had these conversations with Hobgood before where you call them up and you're like, my guys are flying right now. And the reason that you get that is because you, you set the tone for the day. You get the guys to stop thinking, you get them to have fun, you blast the music, you make it more of a football environment. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are competitors, they're football players, and they're high level football players. They're used to having 100,000 fans screaming at them. And then they go out there and they perform under massive amounts of pressure. So you have to be able to, to try and get that kind of dog out of them to where they just shut everything off up top, and they go and they perform. So that is a big part. I think those later weeks, that's on us as, as coaches, not just coaching the program, but you have to coach to the group. You have to get out there and get the energy up and, and you got to be out there screaming with them. I mean, I'm losing my voice in week four. My voice is gone because everybody that runs a PR, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs for each one of them. And you do that. You know, we had 50 guys out here last year. I do that 50 times and a hundred times, because each guy's running two or three reps, 150 times I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. So a lot of it is on, you know, how do you 
set the tone for the day? How do you push the energy in those later weeks when guys are, they don't want to be there. They're gassed. So you have to make it, you have to make it fun. So one of the temptations when you are, when, when, when you get late in this process and guys' legs are heavy and they're tired, one of the temptations is to pull off too much too soon. And you have to, like the process going into combine, the intensity has to stay high, but the volume has to drop. Drop the volume. If you drop both, if you drop volume and intensity, what's going to happen is they're going to peak early and they're not going to run as, they'll run faster in training than they do in Indy. So intensity has to stay high, volume has to drop. And so um, one of the mistakes I've made in the past is, you know, I let the, oh man, I'm tired. And just, I let the woe was me attitude kind of lead me to, you know, dialing back too much too soon. And so that's, that's a mistake that we made. And so we learned that, man, you got, we can, we can limit reps, but the reps that you, that you give me, they have to be max effort. And so one of the things I always, there's always a week where I'll huddle everybody up and I look them all in the eyes and I say, Hey guys, um, you know what I'm going to be doing this time next year? And they look at me and they're like, I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to be training a bunch of college football players who are coming to take your job. You understand that? Like there's a, there's a whole army of guys in high school right now in college that are coming to take your job and I'm going to be training them. So you got to go. Right. So I'll challenge them. And the thing is, there's a fine line. Like you want to challenge players without them, without making it you versus them. I never want it to be you versus them. But I want to hold up this ideal. I want to create an idea where it's like, guys, there's there's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. And so when we step out here onto this turf, there's only one way to approach this. And it's giving your best focus, your best energy. If we're not going to do that, then you're wasting my time and you're wasting your time. We should all just go home and play video games. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's go. And then so I'll always challenge guys. And then I'll like, I need, I find that one guy who's a gamer, right? And I want him, I'll challenge him to step up and say, okay, listen, don't step up to this line and run this, this 20 yard sprint unless you're going to hit this number. And he'll get, and you get one guy to go hit it, and he hits like the number you you told him to hit, and all of a sudden, guy energy gets popped up, and the guys get amped up, and all of a sudden, you got a competition, and you're tapping into that competitive spirit of the guys, and they get amped up and ready to go. And what you thought was going to be like a flat session turns out to be one of your best sessions. And so there's ways as coaches, like I never liked it when coaches would challenge you, and it felt like they were against you. It's like no, 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 I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm not against you, but you got to find ways to challenge them and they will, they'll rise to the occasion. I'm pretty fired up right now. <laughs> I, think, I think I talking about combine here. training, just talking about it gets me all riled up. It really does. It's just, it's a fun time of year and it's, it's such a unique uh, eight weeks. I mean, it's, it's really, it's nothing like it. And it, it just, just talking about it gets you all like, oh yeah, I'm going to go scream at some high school kids right now. Like I'm on, I'm on the other end of this and I see Anthony like peering in and I feel like I'm in his group. 
Like I'm looking around, like is this guy better hit this time right now? Like, please hit this time. <laughs> um, and Nick, uh, it sounded like you're kind of nodding your head yes to what Anthony was saying about uh, the guys coming next year, this time next year, and we train them. It looks like you're going to maybe steal that one for your group next time. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm taking that one. That one's that one's getting spit out every year now. That's a good one. That got me all riled up over here. Yeah, right. So, Nick, it's obviously, you know, each guy is different, right? You have 50 guys, 50 individuals. And part of the assessment and the movement stuff that you do early on is going to help determine maybe what this guy needs to work on. And maybe you watch some film and you have a little bit of data on them. What are some of the commonalities you see specific to the 40 that, hey, this is probably the first thing that we need to work on for a majority of the guys? Yeah. Um, I mean, the big one. For, for almost everybody is the three-point stance. I mean, not a lot of the guys are used to having a hand down in the dirt in a three-point stance or a proper one, at least, and ripping out for those first three steps. Uh, we have a lot of guys that come in and they're very wiry. You know, they, they're four, three kids all day. You know, they run the back half really well. They can even accelerate really well. But you put them down in three-point stance and there's a lot of wasted movement or um, inefficient positions. So they either pop themselves right up or they're not able to drive properly or stay in that drive phase. Uh, football is a unique game because I guess it's not a unique game, but in this instance, because you have to play with your eyes up, there's always something to react to. When you're running the 40, I want your eyes down for the first 15, 20 yards. So that's always a little bit of a fight for guys to really trust their drive phase. Um, and so teaching them just a proper three-point stance and trying to figure out, you know, where your foot should be, um, you know, what type of ankle mobility you have, where are your limitations, where your weight should be. That's always a tough one. Uh, and then get you popping out at the right angle and driving and staying in your drive phase without pulling yourself vertical too early. That's a huge one. And that's where I see really the biggest improvement with anybody, not just, not just the faster guys on the other side of four or five. But when you, when you get a guy to actually trust that drive phase with it being such a short race, 40 yards is not very long. You know, this is not the hundred meter dash where you can use your backhand speed and, and catch guys, or you can make up for a bad start. You have to have everything dialed in from that first step coming out to your finishing step, running right past those gates. Um, so teaching guys to get down in a proper three-point stance, I think, is is huge. And then how about 5-10-5? Maybe I'll go to Anthony on this, and then Nick give you kind of a chance to that. What are some of the beginning foundational things that you find yourself first time we go through this and walk through this drill? Hey, this is what we're talking about. Can I, can I go back and add something to what Nick just said about the full? Of course. Yeah. Um, then I'll jump to the that multi. Yeah, he's exactly right. I, I would say one of the things, though, that that is the lowest hanging fruit is these guys are not in sprinting shape. You would think that because they've been playing football that they're in sprinting shape, but they're not. And so being able to maintain um, the amount of power endurance it takes to run your absolute max effort for a full 40 yards, actually beyond that because you want to run through it. Um, 
they a lot of the guys can't do that initially. They're not in running shape. They go out there and they, they you time them the first day and they're sore everywhere from running two forties. And so just building tolerance, right? Running, running 50 or 60 yards, building tolerance or running at speeds and then slowly and slowly crank up. Like, let's say you run like 75% tempo runs. You're not even going full speed. Start building some tolerance and then you start increasing the intensity and you run on full speed and just starting to get into sprinting shape so that they can maintain that power output, the full, the full length of it is a, is a, uh, is a very important component. You literally will see guys in their first injury 40, you will see them like slow down the last 10 yards, not due to technical errors. They just, they don't, they don't know how to maintain that effort the whole way. And so that's a, that's another one that's low hanging is just getting with the sprinting shape. Um, and when it comes I mean, to, I would say what's one thing right there in response to that is how long do you think it takes to get them into sprinting shape? Eight weeks. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. I think it. I think it depends on the guy. Probably depends on the position. So a little quicker for like guys who, um, you know, like your corners and your receivers, than it is for like a, you know, a linebacker or, you know, um, especially your offensive lineman. I guys, I hate training offensive linemen for the forty. I hate it. I wish that they would just make them run a 10 and just be done with it. Because uh, you're like, man, this guy is not – he's just – this is so – he never does this, and he'll never do it again. Um, and so that's probably a lot longer process for those guys than it would be for a skill player. Um, oh, yeah, so then, transitioning yeah, – Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead and uh, transition to agility. Transitioning to multi. Um, man, a lot of times it's just so – so you got two buckets. If you want to be faster and faster athlete and more agile, you got two buckets. You got power and you have efficiency. Okay. Um, your college athletes are really fast because they're very powerful. Their, their, their running technique and, and, and movement could be super inefficient, like very inefficient, but they're so powerful that they can still move quickly. Okay. On the flip side of that, you can have somebody who's just super efficient, but they don't have the power, they're running, they look pretty, but they're moving slow. When you combine power and efficiency, that's where you maximize what they can do. And I, I feel like with the multi-directional drills, the efficiency category is your lowest hanging fruit. So them understanding like how to efficiently change direction um, and the, the small nuances uh, around the five five and the L drill, guys. I mean, we see we've had athletes last year on the L drill go from running seven five in the L drill to running six eight in the L drill, and and just by getting them to understand how to change direction efficiently, like how do I line up? How do I touch the line? What what positions do I need to be in when I touch the line? Because like if I touch the line and then I, and I'm in the wrong position. It's going to take me way longer to get out of it. I want to be in the right positions when I touch the line. And it all comes down to creating angles. You have to create the right angles to accelerate, but you also have to create the right angles to decelerate and be in the right positions. And so we work drills every Tuesdays and Thursdays is multi-days. And we just drill, drill, drill. We do, we basically go part to whole. We work on the subcomponents of changing direction, like the, the nuances. And then slowly just go from small parts and just add to it and add to it and add to it to where it's like a crawl walk, crawl walk run. And then once they 
once we've installed what we expect from a change in direction, then it's about doing it, um, getting a lot of reps at it. Like once you know how to run the L drill, we need to run the L drill a lot. And I need to pull out the timers and time it a lot. And you start seeing guys just slowly get better and better and better and better and start shaving time. Uh, the On agility that, drills are interesting uh, because you almost have to slow the guys down. Whereas the 40, we're yes. trying to get them to run at maximal speeds and full effort with the pro agility or with the three cone, you have to slow them down. And, and my big thing is always slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And you learn how to run it slow. You get the right footwork down. You do the dance moves, right? It's a very specific amount of steps to this line, to this line, and then how we take this turn and bend it around the corner. It's all very detailed. So you have to find your path. Your path might be a little bit different, but the details are very similar. So run it slow, run it smooth, and then you'll see that time drop significantly. And for anybody that doesn't know the difference between a 7.5 and a 6.8, that's like a 4.8 and a 4.3. That's two very different two very different times. Yeah, and just like you said, a go, slowing down and being in the right positions and the right angles is way faster than going 100 miles an hour and being in the wrong position and in, in bad angles. Um, and so that's what you see. You see, like, let, let's say, here's an example, like flipping back to the 40. Um, a lot of times your corners, your, your defensive secondary guys, their, their initial start, their, their initial drive phase, they will have a lot of frequency, a lot of turnover, but no drive. So it's like it's like frequency over power. Well, it's like they're taking 10 steps during the first five yards, right? A lot of short choppiness, and they look fast. Like it looks like they're moving quick because it's just – it's like someone doing footwork drills. Real fast movement, but they're not going anywhere. And so what I get them to understand is like, guys – Speed is a combination of stride length and stride frequency. Stride length is not the distance between your feet. Stride length is how far your center of mass travels through space in between ground contacts, which is a direct relation to the magnitude and direction of the force you put into the ground. And so the more force you put into the ground at the right direction is going to equal force out of the ground. That's what's going to, and so the, the theme for your start is power over frequency. And so getting them to actually slow the frequency down a little bit is going to feel weird to them. To learn how to actually run with power, frequency over a 40 yard is going to go from slow to fast. Stride length is going to go from small to large. And so in the very beginning of a start, you want high power. This is going to sound weird. You want power with a slower frequency so you can maximize your drive and your push. And what will happen is they slow their frequency down. They get the actual magnitude of, of the, the right magnitude and direction of that force vector, and they run faster. And it's like, what? And so one thing we'll do is we'll complex linear bounding with like 20-yard bounding with 20-yard sprints. Like a linear bound is one of your, like one of the best tools to teach somebody how to accelerate and understand the drive phase. Teach them to so, push and you teach them to be patient. Is a, is a big part of that. Be patient push, with each. Yeah. Push the push and the direction. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, man, and we'll challenge guys like, okay, how, how can you, can you, what's the fewest steps you can get in 20 yards with a 20 yard bound? Um, I think Caleb fairly, I trained him for a short period of time um, during, during the, uh, in 2020. 
He did a 20-yard bound and I think six contacts. Yeah, wild. Which was just ridiculous. And so when he puts his foot in the ground, he's covering a tremendous amount of distance before he does it again. And so then you say, okay, well, what if you could you could let that drill teach you something? There's a teaching element, not just a not just a plyometric and force output, and you know, there's a training effect to that. There's also a learning, learn, it's also teaching you something. And it's like, okay, what's the difference between bounding and sprinting? There's many things, but the primary thing I want them to understand is just frequency. So what if you could let that drill do the same thing? You don't want as much air time. You don't want to be off the ground for a real long time, but you want to just make that happen fast. And they start understanding power over frequency. And then anyway, I know I shifted back to the, the shuttle, but um, that's, yeah, it's, it's all part of the equation. Yeah, for sure. And you talked a little bit about the combination or the product of power and efficiency. And you said that efficiency typically is what is lacking Yep. for someone who has now developed a suitable uh, efficiency and they're lacking in the power department, or they're still working on their efficiency and co-currently need to develop more power. How are you going about doing that? Is something you're addressing, like you said, a little bit from the technical side is going to allow them to do that. But then how about maybe in the weight room or other areas where you're trying to drive up power? Yeah. So some, some athletes just need to get stronger. We had a, we've, we had a, we had a tight end. Like you got to think in order to have power, strength is kind of the foundation of power. And so um, we will, we look at it as the weight room is like our tool for developing power. Weight room and plyometrics. The weight room is where you build the engine. The field is where you work on your efficiency. And so here, here's a little, here's something that I love about Kaiser. Okay, so um, the Kaiser equipment that, that using air resistance is a different stimulus that most of these guys have never felt before. And so think about this for a second. The first time that I started lifting weights, okay, when I started lifting weights, I was in like, I was like 13. My first bench max was like 95 pounds. Okay. I benched 95. I was happy. Right. I, my workout when I was 13 was I would max out on bench press every other day. Okay. That's a great plan. Right. Um, but because that was a, that's, that was a, I had a neurological, I had a neurological adaptation that happened quickly. And man, I, my strength just skyrocketed. It was a new stimulus that I'd never experienced before. And so in seventh grade, I was benching 95 pounds. At the end of eighth grade, I was benching 250 pounds. Purely off a of neurological adaptation. Nick's laughing. Um, and so here's the thing. These athletes come in and some of them have only lifted with mass. And they've never done dynamic effort work. Okay. And so... We will use a combination of air plus mass on squats and bench, and it will also do dynamic effort with Kaiser, okay? And the air resistance, because you're removing momentum or you're limiting momentum from the equation, it is a new stimulus on the nervous system that they have not experienced, and we see some ridiculous strength gains. Like, we have, we have a lot of guys that will bench, and they'll hit, they'll hit weights that they've never hit before in their life. They'll PR on bench. Man, I've never, it was like a cornerback who benches 325 and the most he's ever lifted before was 295, right? You hear that quite a lot. The other thing that I love about it is I'm a huge fan of Olympic lifting, right? When I was in college, I was, that was like my bread and butter, man. I, I love Olympic lifting and I look at Olympic lifting as 
is one of the gold standards for developing, you know, improving the amount of force you can put into the ground in a weight room, right? I love Olympic lifting. However, Olympic lifting is a highly skilled movement. And these athletes come in, a lot of them don't have the wrist mobility and shoulder mobility to get into catch positions. Or if you're trying to do a snatch with them, they may have like stuff going on, sprained AC joints. So due to athletes' skill levels with Olympic lifting and like mobility or, or injuries that, that limit Olympic lifting, um, using the Kaiser power squat to where we're working on like lower body push into the ground for develop for improving force, man, you, the learning curve for that is almost nothing. And so we will use the Kaiser power squat, both double leg and single leg work on that every week. We will we use the air resistance plus mass on squat and bench. And the combination of the ease of the movement of the Kaiser power squat, but also the, the new stimulus of, of air resistance with very minimum impact for momentum um, really cranks up the engine for a lot of these guys. Just to add on to that, I mean, Hobgood covered it. We love the Kaiser stuff. And and it has so many benefits for the guys. Another big one with the Kaiser Power Squat is it gives you a number. And a number means we can get competitive. And when I look at that peak power output and I have the same group rolling and I have one guy that's at 400 pounds and he's hitting 4,000 on the output and another guy's hitting 38, you just mention that little number right there. And then all of a sudden the whole group elevates and you're putting another however many, a couple hundred pounds of, of uh, peak power into that Kaiser power squat. So that's another huge one is, is the guys are able to be competitive and then to circle back to the bench press and kind of mirror what we were talking about on the field, power and efficiency, that air on the barbell makes you more efficient with your bar path. You can't have your bar path all over the place when you're doing 20 reps, you're losing reps. And because the air keeps you locked in a certain pathway it teaches guys to be more efficient with their bar path which maybe adds I mean some of these guys like like Hobgood was saying it's just raw power that they have coming in you teach them to be efficient with their bar path and you can add another four or five reps without even getting stronger just being more efficient with the bar and the and the air does that really really well yeah absolutely certainly uh, you know we love it but it's really cool to hear you know, some of the impact that that equipment has had on some of those groups. We were visiting another gym not long ago, and we were talking about using it for bench press, using the combination, Anthony, like you said, of mass and air. And the guy training said, something's happening. <laughs> so you guys know better than me, but something's happening with these groups that we have uh, when, we, when we work on the bench press. So certainly, uh, you know, we know that has its benefits and, and we love to hear how uh, Y'all are using it, so that's great. I'm going to turn it over here to Mike Compton here for a little bit of a Q&A and give some people in our audience a chance to ask some questions. Thanks, Gabe. Awesome work, guys. I like how you keep, you keep it simple and, and continue to reinforce that education throughout the eight weeks. Um, our first question is going to be from Jacob Rivera. Uh, Nick, I'm going to go to you uh, to start and then feel free to play off each other and then we'll kind of go back and forth with the questions. Uh, Jacob's question is, do you guys ever have fears with testing the combine tests at the beginning? Knowing their training during the past four to six weeks before they start is so inconsistent or bodies are banged up. I was always hesitant with that. How has your team worked through that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that you have to learn in the eval process. I mean, it's always going to be any time a guy runs a flying 20 or a 40-yard dash, anything past 20 yards, there's always a little bit of a, of a hesitation, um, but especially on that entry 40. So that's just a matter of evaluation uh, prior to running the 40. You know, talk about history, talk about, you know, what have you been doing for the last couple of weeks? Um, are you coming straight off of a bowl game? Have you been sitting on the couch for a month? All of that is going to be, you know, played into our decision of if you're going to run an entry 40. Ideally, we catch the entry 40, but we also understand that, you know, the number one rule is do no harm. Uh, and if you go run an entry 40, the worst thing that can happen is you, you know, you blow a hamstring or you tweak a hamstring even because that's going to restrict your training for the next eight weeks. So it's, it's better to play on the side of caution with that. Um, there's been classes that I've had where almost half of my guys didn't even run an entry 40. Uh, just because I'm going to err on the side of caution. If there's some type of an asymmetry in our Nord board ISO 30 testing, uh, if there's an asymmetry on our force decks when we're doing uh, when we're doing jump profiles, or if they just have an injury history, uh, then I'm going to err on the side of caution and know that we'll build up that tolerance and we'll we'll be able to put together estimates of what we think their range will be. Uh, while they run the fort, while we're going through testing, um, and knowing that the real forty that matters is the one in Indianapolis or at their pro day, so it's nice to have the black and white of this was your entry forty and this was your exit forty. Uh, but if we're just catching data for data's sake, it's it's always better to to err on the side of caution with that. Fantastic, thanks for sharing, Nick. We're going to move on to uh, Hugh's question. Uh, first off, he'd like to thank you for both you guys for great info. Um, he has worked with some high school football players, um, but any suggestions as he works with many soccer players who installs kind of like those same pillars uh, that you guys discussed with recovery, rest, nutrition. Um, but his soccer players are preparing for camp, showcases, high school, and are very driven, but pretty much will do anything as far as like overtraining. So how do you harness guys that are, you know, already dogs and they want to do more? Um, Anthony, I'm going to go to you for a huge question. Uh, yeah, so oftentimes if you're dealing with high school athletes, I think it also, it mainly involves educating parents because usually the fuel behind that is the, is the, the parents that are pushing them. Um, and so I, I always try and with a youth athlete, seek to understand like, you know, how much are you doing? And then have a conversation with the parent and then try to go from there. Um, there's a, there was a situation in the past where I had a, a parent, I had a, a, a cross country runner at a, at a major university reach out to me about, um, Hey, what's your advice for, um, for helping me improve my performance? And see, this is, this is a cross country athlete at a major university who knew somebody who knew me called me. And I start asking questions. Well, I come to find out, like, this guy runs six days a week. He's running, like, 70 miles a week. Um, he's in a fraternity in school. Oh, his girlfriend broke up with him, by the way. So he's got a lot of stress going on in his life. And, oh, by the way, his breakfast is a pack of instant oatmeal. And he's telling me, man, my performance is suffering. I'm thinking about moving to a seven-day-a-week training schedule. I need to do more. 
And I'm like, no, first of all, I'm not your coach. Your coach is driving you. So I said, dude, I focused on recovery. I said, okay, number one, don't do more. Number two, do you, do you utilize any recovery tools? Like, do you have a cold tub? Do you ever get in it? He's like, nope. I said, okay, well, how about after some of your races during the week, your practices start utilizing the cold tub? How about increasing your, your caloric intake in the mornings instead of eating a pack of instant oatmeal? Let's approach it from a nutrition standpoint. And so I, he did not expect that. I hit him with recovery and I hit him with proper fueling. Didn't even touch the training piece and said, you might, instead of thinking about going seven days a week, what if you added an extra day off and you only, you, you took a day off or you had a day for recovery? Anyway, he took the advice. Three months later, his mom called me and said, he is doing great and that is exactly what he needed and he's, he's actually reached his goals. And so I would say um, it goes back to educating. A lot of people don't know. As a young athlete, I thought that I should just train harder and if I could just buy the supplements I saw in the magazine, that's what I needed. It's like, no, I need, I need to take a simple approach, nutrition, training, recovery, educate the athlete and educate the parents because the parents oftentimes are pushing them. Awesome. I like that. Not just educating the athlete, but also whoever is surrounding them in their inner circle, especially if the athlete is young. Um, Anthony, this question is actually going back to you. Um, this is from Bo K. And he says, thanks to both you guys. Experience of using Kaiser is different um, compared to traditional free weights. How do you encourage athletes to use Kaiser, even though they feel un maybe uncomfortable at the beginning? Just because it's a new type of equipment, maybe they haven't yep. seen etc. So here's one thing I'll do. Um, I'll, I'll first, I'll educate the athletes on what it is. And I'll talk about the difference between momentum, like using free weights or using air. And I'll grab like a weight and I'll like, a, like a 10 pound weight and I'll move it. And as I'll stop my hand, the weight keeps moving. And so I, I demonstrate to them what, how momentum impacts load. And so like when you're doing a bench press, because I'm stopping the bar, I spend a significant part of that movement decelerating the bar. Right. And so I explained to them the difference on on like as I move that bar quickly, um, I am actually unloading the body the faster I move free weights. When I use air, it's not impacted as much, especially if you use an aluminum bar. If you use the aluminum bar, you have very little momentum to play. And so what I'll typically do with the combine guys is the first day that we do like some dynamic effort bench, like air only, like a light load moving it fast, I will then take the air off the bar, put on some free weights and have them do some reps with the free weights. And they literally feel like they're throwing it to the ceiling. They're like, this is the craziest thing ever. And so I let them feel the difference between air and mass. And when you get their nervous system stimulated by air, as soon as they put mass in their hand, it feels weightless. And so that, that, that's where I start to try to like get them to feel it, shape their understanding of, of like what it is and why it's different. And, um, and man, they always buy into it and never give me pushback. Yeah, especially that light bulb is going to hit. As you mentioned, once they feel that difference, it's crazy how much that's going to impact their training and kind of yeah. you know, push that threshold and bring them to the next level. Love it. Uh, this, uh, Nick, I'm going to go to you uh, with Jess's question. Um, we'll do this one and then one more just because we're, we're coming up uh, closing on time. And then Gabe, I'll flick it back to you. Uh, Justin's question is, in the short time, short time you have with your athletes, is your main goal to spend more time making their strengths stronger, to highlight it on combine day, or is your goal improving their less skilled events? 
How's that conversation you have with the athlete or your performance goal for them on combine day? Uh, I think it's, that kind of falls under the answer that I hate of uh, it depends. And, and the more I coach, the more I use it. Um, it just depends for each guy. Anthony touched on this earlier uh, on the fact that we're not just trying to get you to run a fast 40 or, you know, bench 30 plus reps or whatever it is. We're trying to build your draft stock. And so if you look at that athlete individually and you look at their situation, what are the questions surrounding them? Um, I had a tight end last year and the big question was speed. They knew he could play ball. They knew he was a big guy, strong, all of that, could do everything, but how fast was he? So we knew that we had to show, we had to prove that he was a four or five guy because that was going to jump him up the board significantly. That was going to be huge. So understanding your athletes and their needs to build their draft stock is really going to help. And if that happens to fall in the situation of that's what they're already good at, then awesome. If it falls in a situation where they need some improvement, then there's more conversations happening, you know, behind closed doors or on the phone with the agents and, and the family and everything like that, where we can be strategic about how we train that individual or if they're going to be doing testing at pro day versus Indianapolis or whatever it is. So um, I think that falls under what is the situation. Um, and, and the goal, like we were saying earlier, is to build draft stock. So how do we do that? Can I add to that too? Sure. Um, I would say that if, if we're playing football, I'm going to focus on strengths and put you in the best position to help us succeed. If we're working on showcasing a showcase like the combine, we got to focus on the weaknesses. So for example, Ken Walker running back from Michigan State, short, compact, extremely powerful guy. And his zero to 10, his start was unreal. It was like he could just, he was gone. But his back half, he slowed down. Back half was not good. On the flip side, Braylon Sanders, wide receiver from Ole Miss, big tall guy, phenomenal back half, terrible start. And so for both of those guys to get better in the 40, Ken needed to work on the back half. Braylon needed to work on his start. And that's how those guys, like that's how they, that's how those guys made the progress and the jumps that they made. They made huge jumps in their program. And so Ken, it was like Ken's start was so good, I didn't want to mess with it. He just needed to understand how to close. And so, yeah, like Nick said, it all depends. But I would say football, strengths, combine, we got to pull those weaknesses up because that's going to really hinder you. They won't be able to see your strengths because of the weakness. And I, and I think the athlete probably appreciates that too because you're on the same page. We want their draft, got, draft stock to be high and, and kind of push that emphasis with them. There needs to be just a touch on that again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> There needs to be a, a sometimes a reality conversation as we get closer to these testing days too, because we may be working on your weakness the entire time that you're here. But if you're going to go out there and bench press 225 two times, and maybe we added a lot of strength, you know, maybe you got stronger and you came in and you got crushed by 225. But if you're going to go do two or three reps, then maybe it's not worth it. So you have to be careful of, of, the showcase that you put on out there. The guys are going out there to show their best self to, again, boost the draft stock and, you know, do as, as well as they can. And maybe that means we don't do some events or we save events for later. Great. I like that addition. Thank you, Nick. Um, this one's coming from Angel Ramirez. 
Uh, as coaches, what is most important and valuable thing that you have learned from working with these young men during the combine prep? I'm good. You want to take this and then I'll piggyback? <laughs> I, could, I could talk about this for another 45 minutes. Okay, here's one for you. Could, could any of you tell me who won the Super Bowl five years ago off the top of your head? Like 2017, I don't know. I couldn't, right? So what's interesting is but five years ago, I could not tell you who won the Super Bowl. However, five years ago, somebody would have sold their soul to the devil to win a Super Bowl. Man, they would have done anything to do it. And so what I've come to realize is like, man, all of these guys, even though that right now, this season of life, this is all really important to them. This is going to come to an end. And so the most viable thing is the relationship that we build with them. And they understand that like, look, your value as a human being is not in your productivity on the field. It's not. And I care about you because you're a human being, not because you're an athlete. And so I think, I think I've, I've been so overexposed to pro sports that it's almost kind of like you, you, it's, it's important, but there's more important things going on than just winning. And there's more important things than the combine because they're going to soon forget about the combine. You think Deshaun Jackson right now cares anything about the combine from 08? No, not at all. And so I think having a proper perspective so that um, I understand that, man, I, I, we're here to influence and, and guide and help. And a lot of these guys, you know, are going to come back to us. Some of them will come back to us after their career is over and they're no longer playing football and they're dealing with, man, who am I now? Like, who am I? I don't play football anymore. Like they start having an identity crisis. And so I think for me, it, it's, it's having the proper perspective, seeing the humanity in it and seeing these guys as, as human beings and individuals that just like us and that they need to understand that we care about them and we love them and that we're here from them and, um, all this that is super important now will soon pass. There's more to who you are in this life than sports. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Nick. Um, no, you're good. Before you go, I, if you could tag on too, because uh, we kind of touched on it before we started the live um, education series. If you could touch on the fact that like how fast you guys build those intimate in-depth relationships with your athletes in that eight weeks, and I know Anthony touched on it slightly, but them coming back or even bringing other guys that didn't train with you, if you can kind of touch on that quickly as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a pressure cooker of a program. Uh, it's very, you know, the stakes are very high. It's a very condensed program. You're with the guys literally all day, six days a week, seven days a week sometimes. So your ability, your ability to build relationships with these guys is massive. And you build lifelong connections with guys and they trust you with this process, especially when they go out there and they perform at a really high level. And so this is a life-changing event for them. They're going from being an amateur to a professional. And if they can help themselves then they can help their family. And they're very grateful for that. And we understand that responsibility and, and, and take it with a lot of weight. Um, and then the relationships that you build from that, it just snowballs. So you'll have guys coming back um, DK has been one of my guys for since the combine for three, four years. Now he comes back every off season. I know his mom, his dad, his brothers and sisters. Like I, I know the whole family. So uh, you start to build almost like they're either your own kids or your little brother or whatever it is. You build this huge 
relationship with these athletes to where you just want them to do better as a person. You know, you want them to go out there and perform because it's going to help them, but you care about them as a person. I think some of the biggest hits that I've taken haven't been from the guys that go out there and run really well and run a four, three, three at 240 pounds. It's the guys that didn't run well, that sting and they sit with you because you care that much because, you know, and that's going to push you as a coach every single year to try and get a little bit better as a coach or to do a little bit more because that sting, that one doesn't go away. You know, I have a sting from a couple of guys for years and it just kind of sits there. So it's, it's definitely the relationships. I have time to add to that. Of course you do. Go ahead. (laughs) So I've realized that when, when these guys get to a certain level and they're as an athlete, they, they get very popular and they, are, they become like, you know, huge guys on campus and, and they're going to be pro athletes. Um, everybody in their life wants something from them. And it is crazy. Everyone's pulling at them. Everybody's, everybody's wanting something from them. And one of the key things I think in de- de- developing a good relationship with these guys is for them to understand that I don't want anything from you. All I want from you is for, the, for you to show up ready to work. I am here to give to you. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm here to give to you. And so as a coach, the moment that you cross that threshold, you start asking them for things, you become like everybody else. And so I want them to feel safe that, hey, this is a place you can come where we're serving you, not asking you for things. I think that's spot on too. And and I'm sure they feel like safe within that eight weeks because you guys are locked in. It's a controlled environment and they can just focus on getting better for that combine. Um, But we're up uh, towards the end of the series. I'm going to flick it back to Gabe. Thanks a ton for your guys' um, insight. Nick and Anthony, thank you. I have a question for you guys. I have two. My first one, and just in thinking about this, and Anthony, you brought up some awesome points about perspective and Nick, you talked a little bit about the sting of maybe not having guys go where they need to go to or not having their name called where they wanted to on draft day. Let's look at the awesome part about it, draft day. Can you guys tell us kind of what your draft day is like from your own personal experience? What you've done over the years is you have a certain routine, like you have a certain something for breakfast. Like what does what your routine on draft day look like for you? Draft day for me is a little more relaxing than run day. Run day is stressful. So when we travel out to Indianapolis with the guys, we're there to support the entire time. So when they're in Indy for a week, we're in Indy for a week and continuing the training and continue, continuing the process. And that's another very unique thing that, that Exos is able to do um, just from a training, but also a mindset standpoint. But that sitting on the coach's couch, when you sit there and everybody's there and the agents are there and the family's there and they're running their 40, that's stressful. That's that's a fun time. But draft day is much more relaxing. You know, I think that we play a role in where they get drafted, but it's also a million other variables. You know, where do they fall on the board from a position? Uh, what have they done in their college career? You know, whether a team likes them, whether a team needs a receiver or they need an offensive lineman, there's a lot more variables. So it's just fun to watch guys go. Um, there is definitely some stress side of it where you want guys to go a little bit higher or a guy is expected to go round two and then he goes round four, something like that, or the opposite uh, can be very exciting. But it's definitely 
more of a relaxing enjoyment, enjoying experience versus a high stress, you know, falling off of the couch type of thing. Yeah, Anthony, go ahead. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty typical day for me. Just like Nick said, it's it's not very stressful at all because there's not really anything to be done. Um, I do keep my my phone with me because I will have I'll have I've had teams call me on draft day asking me about guys. A lot of NFL teams will call us and and want to know like what was this person like, how was the work ethic, and what have you. And so that's happened a few times where my phone rings and I answer it and. You know, it's an NFL team asking me about a player, and I give my comments on him. And then later on, you watch him. You watch that team draft him, and you're like, "Whoa!" You know, like you know, again, like Nick said, there's a million variables, and you know, we're probably the smallest variable in the whole equation. But you still feel like you're a part of of helping this this person be successful, and so um, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I gotta imagine uh, it's a pretty fun experience seeing you know, hearing the name and then seeing them walk across the stage or seeing the videos of them at home celebrating with their family has got to be pretty great. Uh, the last question that we're going to finish off with, and it's something that we'd like to ask our guest panelists that join us on the KES here is, what does your own training look like right now? Is it a little bit of practice what you preach? Are you out there running 40s? Are you doing, you know, bench press? Anthony, still maxing out every other day? Or are you training for something specific or experimenting? Give us some insight and shine some light on what's going on. Uh, every day in your own training we'll start with Nick and then we'll finish with Anthony yeah I like to use myself as a guinea pig and, and kind of play around with different training modalities throughout the year um, right now I have myself in a little bit of a competition for some for some force plate data so I'm on the attempt to jump 60 meters right now counter movement with my hands on my hips no hands involved which is a, a big difference so just kind of playing around with some of the new toys that we get. And, um, you know, as we get closer to combine, I'll actually start to prep myself for combine because there's going to be a lot of demos. There's going to be a lot of on your feet teaching guys. Uh, and so if you're not prepared for it, you can go out there and blow an Achilles really quick. And it's also uh, it's really easy or it's a it's a cheating way to do it. But to get buy in from athletes, if your demos look really good. So if you go out there and you rip off 20 yards of a real pretty bound uh, or you can rip out of a three-point start real nice or even a skips or whatever it is look good, you immediately get that buy-in from the athletes. Uh, so the closer we get to to combine in January, I'll, I'll start ramping that up. But for now, it's, it's biceps and vertical jump. Yeah, your, your demos can make or break you as a coach. If you can, you know, if you can demo – the drills better than they can, they automatically buy in. Um, but here's, here's my journey. Early in my career, I would, I never, I never want to take athletes through things that I haven't done myself. So early in my career, I, I would do the whole program. Like I would honestly do the program the night before I would train them. However, um, I, I, I'm way past that now, man. I am on the, I want to feel good and be healthy type program. And I, I would rather be able to do a Turkish get-up with a heavy kettlebell than bench press or squat. I don't bench press anymore. I don't squat anymore. I use kettlebells and bodyweight training. Um, I, would, I, I spend more time doing cardiovascular training. And so I'm more about health than I am about performance.
Yeah, it's um, it's been fun to hear some of the answers from some of the people. You kind of never know what you're going to hear. So uh, we definitely really appreciate that and uh, love to finish with that one to see what we get. So, um, well, that's all the time we have for today. A big thank you to our attendees that joined us live for the KES and a huge thank you to our two panelists, Anthony and Nick. We appreciate their time and willingness to share what it's like inside Exos and the different elements that go into preparing their athletes for success. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest coming out of Exos, give their social media a follow on Instagram at Exos Education and at team underscore Exos, or visit their website at teamexos.com backslash education, where you can find links to their online and in-person educational resources. We also included the Instagram for Nick, I believe that's N-I-C underscore underscore Hill. So we should be included there in the chat. So go ahead and give him a follow as well and see what's going on over there in Arizona. This, this discussion will be publicly available on the Kaiser Fitness YouTube page, and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under the Kaiser Education Series. We hope you'll join us in two weeks from now on June 22nd for our next KES panel. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day.